we, we are in, started off this series called Picture Perfect Family. We're going to talk about what that looks like. And um, here, let's be honest. No family is perfect. No family is perfect. Who can ever forget the immortal words of Winston Churchill where he says, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. And it sounds exactly like some of your family's most recent vacation, doesn't it? <laughs> Family life can be tough. It always has been tough, but it's also so very, very important. One Sunday, there was a pastor. Uh, he was preaching about things that money can't buy. He said that money can't buy happiness, that money can't buy laughter, can't buy love. And, 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 and driving his point home, he asked the church a very pointed question. He said, what would you do if I offered you $1,000 to not love your mother and your father? And there was silence in the church for a few seconds. And finally, there was a little boy on the second row he said, preacher, I said, what would you give me to not love my older sister? <laughs> Something just never changes. But our society and the families within our society has, have gone through some tremendous changes. There's a famous historian, a sociologist named Carl Zimmerman. And he wrote a book called Family and Civilization. And he studied the, 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 the breakdown of the various cultures of our history, the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, the Assyrian, the Babylonian Empire. And, we, and he was studying all that, and he came down to a very powerful conclusion in this book. And he said this, he said, the decline of the, of the cultures, of the various cultures, paralleled the decline of family life within those cultures. And then he identified several different denominators in every one of those cultures. And I'll give you a list of them, about five or six of them. He recognized that each culture, that he recognized that the sacredness of marriage had been reduced, that was frequently broken up by divorce, every one of those cultures. He also noted that the traditional meaning of the marriage ceremony itself had been reduced. He, he, he said the noticeable, that there was a notable increase, a, a noticeable increase in public disrespect for parents and authorities in general. There was a dramatic, he said, a dramatic acceleration of juvenile crime and law-breaking and rebellion. He said there was a noticeable growing desire for adultery. He also noticed an increasing spread of sexual perversions and sex-related crimes in every one of those cultures. And what's crazy is that Carl Zimmerman he wrote this in 1947, almost 75 years ago, during a time when 
the trends he described are nowhere close to the trends that are happening in our culture today. And here we are, we're standing on the verge of a cultural collapse, just like the previous cultures in our history believed that they could last forever and ever and ever, and that they were invincible, that they would never, that they would never be destroyed. You would study that every one of those cultures imploded within. It was an internal implosion. It was an internal breakdown of the culture within. Now, there was, because of that, they were set up for outside forces to destroy them, to wipe them out. I'm afraid that here in our, in our Christianity, American way of life, that if we're not careful, we can find ourselves on that path. Now, we have two choices to make. Two choices. We can... We can and we can bemoan the fact, <laughs> just, just kind of wait for our, our final, for the final truth to drop, or or we can become actively involved in strengthening our own family and begin to make a difference, one family at a time. That's what we're going to do here today. I want to show you a portrait, a picture of what God wants for your family, what God wants for my family. I want to look at two psalms back to back here. Psalm 127, and I want to look at Psalm 128. Let's look at 127. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night anxiously working for food to eat for God to give rest to his loved one. He said, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. Look at verse Look at Psalm 128. It said, how joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follows his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and how prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine, flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees at the sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May Israel have peace. What a picture of a, of a happy Blessed family. And in our modern culture, in a world that's dying, we can have what God described here in these two Psalms. First four is the key verse. It is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. Now here's the, here's the main theme. The main theme in this Psalm is the fear of the Lord the fear of the Lord. 
And that's the, we, we see this blueprint for a family that's blessed by God. We see this, if you're taking notes, a satisfying home is based on the blessings of God. A satisfying home based on God's blessing. But then we see this, a, a, you know, God's blessing on your family, God's blessing is based on the fear of the Lord. So we can conclude to this idea that a, a family that is satisfying, a satisfying home is based on the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. Now, what, what is the fear of the Lord? Let's just kind of stop here for a few minutes and, and let's unpack the fear of God. The fear of God is a, is a dominant theme throughout the Bible. And yet, I, I fear that we have lost it. So many have lost that. So many people lose it in our upbeat, feel-good American Christianity. We've lost the fear of God in a lot of ways. You see, it's a healthy, it's a, a healthy respect, a healthy reverence for God that comes from the knowledge of God results in the obedience of God. It's an attitude, an attitude of reverence, an attitude of respect that results in an action. Obedient. So let me, let me break that down. The fear of the Lord, if you're taking notes, it comes from knowing him. All right, that's the first part of this whole idea of the fear of God. It comes from knowing who he is. You see, we may fear some things, like future events, because we don't know what's going to happen. Or, or some people may fear God in an unhealthy sense that causes them to avoid God because they don't know him. However, we fear other things because what we know about that thing. For example, I, um, you know, we were in Pensacola, Florida. We were on the beach. And I've learned to have a very healthy respect about the beach. Because here's what I know about the beach. I know of dangerous riptides. I know that you could be out there and in just a minute, you know, you can go from a fun situation to a very dangerous situation. I know that. I also know this, and this might, this might be something that you don't know about, and it might scare you too much. I hope not, but anyway, I'm going to tell it, and uh, hopefully by Wednesday you'll forget about it. Um, <laughs> but the fact is that for every 10 minutes, on average, for every 10 minutes that you're in the ocean, you're within 10 feet of a shark. You're like, I'm done. I'm out. Now, of course, you catch all kinds of, you know, there's all kinds of sharks out there. Not every shark is dangerous. You know, when we were out fishing, uh, my son and I, we went out fishing for red snapper, and, um, and we out there about eight, ten miles out, and one of the fish that I caught was a sand shark, you know, and that was kind of cool. We caught it, oh, okay, and then we threw it back in the water, and um, I kept my hands away from the mouth and just kind of let it be that way, you know, but, um, and, and so there's all kinds of sharks out there, but man, that's a, you know, but knowing that, hey, knowing about the beach, you know, you, you have a healthy respect. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy the beach. You have a healthy respect for what it is. Next, next month, um, a, a family and I are going on one more trip. All right, we've got a family trip, and we're going to miss one more Sunday. All right, Pastor Danny, we're Pastor Danny. I'm back there dabbling away, but Pastor Danny can preach for us right, on that Sunday. And uh, he was there in the first service. But uh, 
You know, we're going to be going to Yellowstone. We're going to fly out to Yellowstone. We're not driving out there because it takes three days to get out there, you know. But we're going to fly out there. We're going to spend a, a, a week out in Yellowstone. And uh, one of the things that Yellowstone's known for is buffaloes. And they're called bison. I like buffaloes, okay. The buffaloes are sounds. And, uh, and, and, and they're known for buffalo jams. Like you could be stuck in a traffic jam because of buffaloes in the road. Uh, how many of you have been to Yellowstone? You know what I'm talking about. Okay. All right. And so and on average, buffaloes, on average, you know, attack several people, you know, one or two people a year. They, they gore a person or two on average per year. They're, they're, they're meant to be respected. They look like fur cows, <laughs> furry cows, but they're big. They, 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 oh, they look so kind and so nice, but they are dangerous. And, and so I remember when we went out to my parents and I, went, I was young, we, we pulled over and there was a buffalo in the road. We kind of pulled over. We had our distance. We had our space. I was just observing. Mom and dad teaching me and my two brothers to have a healthy respect of the buffalo. Don't get too close. Now, there was another family. Right, Mom? You remember that. There was another family that pulled up. And they had two or three kids, about our age. And their mom and dad have not taught them a healthy respect of the buffaloes. Mom and dad, they're sitting back, and they're little, little Johnny and little Becky just oh, said, go ahead and, and, uh, and uh, throw a rock at it. So they're picking up rocks. Me and my brothers were like, what's going on here? And you see the buffalo, you know, he kind of snort. And my dad was like, you know what? This is a good time to leave. Get out of here. I mean, these two kids, they just keep going at it. They just kept going at it. Mom and dad, their parents were like, yeah, just go ahead, John, you're funny. Let's take a picture of this with our little Kodak throwaway phone, or throwaway camera, right? And we're out of there. We have no idea what happened. We didn't want to find out what happened. They had a lack of respect. They had an unhealthy respect. No fear. Ain't scared where well, they should have been. You know, I, I, I have a, a healthy fear of my chainsaw. I, I know the terrible damage that it can cause if I'm not careful, but that fear doesn't cause me not to you know, use the chainsaw. I don't avoid using it, but rather I treat it with proper respect. And, and so the proper fear of God, it comes from understanding his greatness, understanding his power. See, our God is an eternal God who spoke the universe into existence. You see, if we see God's greatness and God's power and what he has made, uh, we will fear him. But not only that, we should especially fear him when we realize that the great and powerful creator it's absolutely holy. And that each and every one of us, we have violated his holy standards. You know, every time in the Bible, every time you see this, a man, it doesn't matter who you were, a righteous man. You know, they would get a glimpse of God. They would get a glimpse of the splendor of his holiness, and they were stricken with fear. 
None of us could even dare draw near to this holy, powerful God if he had not also revealed himself as a God of love who mercifully made provision for our sins and the death of his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us. Now he invites us to draw near. He invites us to draw closer to him. But we do so in a way of honor, respect, and an awe of him, the fear of the Lord that comes from the knowledge of God. But then if you're taking note, the fear of the Lord it results in that obedience. It results in obedience to him. Uh, Psalm 128, verse 1, we read it. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. I mean, the, you see the paradox. You see the, 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 the emotion of joy and fear. There's joy when you have a healthy respect, a healthy reverence to the God of the Creator. He said, how joyful are those who fear the Lord. And then he said, all who follows his ways. You see, when you, when, you, when you see him who he is, when you love him for who he is, to know him, to love him, to love him is to obey him, to serve him. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, uh, Paul, he had just made the fact that God is our father and that we are his sons and daughters. And he, he said this, he said, because we have these promises, dear friends, he said, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. But for growing in the knowledge of God and who he is, we'll be growing in the fear of God. And to grow in the fear of God, you're growing the holiness and to flee from evil and to strive for holiness. Fearing God will cause us to walk in his ways as revealed in his words. So a satisfying home is based on God's blessing. And God's blessing is based on the fear of the Lord. Now, I said all that, you know, unpack it. Some of you are getting a little sleepy-eyed. Some of you are thinking, I should have got that coffee before I came to church. And, um, and so I, just kind of hang with me. You know, last, last Sunday, I, I preached. I actually preached on my vacation. I preached the last two, service, the last two Sundays, one in my home church uh, that I was on staff for for uh, 10 years. And then my friend started a church nine years ago and, um, not in the area. And, um, and his church was in a movie theater. And I'd never preached in a movie theater before, you know, and, and everybody had a real nice, comfortable recliner chairs. And I'm like, man, I, why am I preaching? I mean, they're, they're falling asleep. And, uh, and, and kudos to them, it was 4th of July, they were there, you know, and I heard it was a good crowd of you here on 4th of July, proud of our church for being here, for being there. But anyway, just hang in there, because we're gonna, I'm going to simplify you. Talk about the fear of the Lord. All right, Scott, what does that mean? Uh, what, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my family? How can we strive for, for that holiness, that, that beautiful picture that God wants for my family? And that's what I want to end up with. All right? If you're taking notes, it's a bold statement. I want to unpack this statement. As a family, we are not just a Christian family. We are to be a Christ-centered family. We're not called to just be a Christian in name only. 
oh, you know, God, I'm a Christian, you know, uh, but I only, I only just go to church here and there. But yeah, I'm a Christian. And you really might well be a, a follower of Christ, but you're, you're not really living it out. There's a big difference between, yeah, I'm just a Christian, than a person who says, man, I, I, everything about me is about Jesus. And I want to pursue him with everything I've got. Our home, I want our home to be characterized by Christ-centeredness. I love how David, in the Psalm 63, verse 1, how he said this. He said, you, God, you are my God. He said, earnestly, I, I seek you. I, I thirst for you. My whole being it longs for you in a, in a dry and parched land, in a dry and thirsty land. Oh, God, I need you. I long for you. You see the language? He's not saying, hey, God, hey, God, I want you. I want you when it's convenient. not saying that. He's not saying, hey, God, you know, God, I kind of believe in you. I kind of believe in you whenever I need you. David is like, God, it's every moment of every day, every bit of me. It, it longs for you. It desires for you. You see, we're not just a Christian family. We're not called to just be a Christian in name only. We are called, my friend, to be Christ-centered. Be Christ-centered. I, 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 I saw someone translate this verse uh, for the family. We translated it first, and they used the happy family translation. It's something you made up. But you put Psalm 63, verse 1. And what the idea of the family, he said, he said, you, God, are our God. Family, right? He said, earnestly, we seek you. We thirst for you. Our whole family longs for you. You know, imagine the silly things that we live for in the place of God. Imagine the silly things that we place God with. It will be like, oh, popularity. You are my God. Oh, how I long for you. Oh, 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 uh, championship of the eight and under soccer league. How you are my God. How I desire for you. How I long for you. He says, that's pretty stupid, God. I said, oh, new car, my, my bottom longs for your leather seats and seat warmers, especially in the cold of winter. How I long for the old beautiful car. He said, God, that's a dumb. I know, but that's just how we are. So many of us, that's how we live. And we wonder why we're so empty. Because we push in our pursuit and our other things, and we place that above God. And that has become our idol. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's where the satisfaction is, the things of God. 
That's where satisfaction or satisfying home belongs. It's when you pursue him. When we pursue him. Now, our goal, and I pray that this is your goal, our desire. I pray that this is something, whether you're a parent, grandparents, aunt, uncle, maybe you're here today, you're single. Maybe you're like, oh, man, Scott, you know, you're doing the marriage, marriage stuff, and this isn't for me. I'm just going to count how many mission tiles we have on the ceilings and kind of kind of figure that out. No, I hope you're engaged because there'll be a time where this is all practical. In fact, your time is now. Don't wait till you get married to start living for God. Start living for God now. I mean, this, is, this is foundational. So this is for all of us. And so here, here's our goal. Here, here's my goal. And I, maybe this is your goal. And if you're taking note, our goal is to help our family. Help our family see God as loving, approachable, and involved. In our pursuit of the fear of God, in our pursuit of Christ-centeredness, what if we teach our family to see God as a loving God, that, we can, that God is lovable, that he loves us in spite of our brokenness. He loves you, that you matter to him. What, what if we could teach our family, husband and wives, we teach each other to remind each other. What if, what if you teach our kids, your grandkids, your nieces and nephews, what if we teach them that God is approachable, that we can go to God for anything and everything, that we can go to the throne of, get, to the throne of grace with, with boldness? And that we can come to him. We don't have to have a criteria before we go to him, that we can come to him empty-handed. Say, God, I've got nothing. I don't even deserve to be in your presence, but God is so approachable. What if we teach our family what that looks like? What, what if... We teach our family that God is involved in all that we are doing. And that we should create an environment where your kids want to have a discussion about God. And, and, and it's not something that they feel like they have to do, but they want to do it. And you create that culture, you create that environment in your home for them to have conversations. Uh, and you're like, man, God, want that. So I'm going to give us three things, three practical things that we could put into our family portraits. What if our family portraits accomplished these three things? And I believe that would really help us to get to where God wants us, to, to really un, to develop this Psalm 127, Psalm 128 in our family. Number one, we're to involve God in our daily conversations. Simple. We're simply going to involve God in our daily conversations. And this may seem kind of weird to you, but it really is simple. It's, uh, you're driving along, you know, in your car, beautiful sunset, or beautiful sunrise, whatever it might be. You're on the way to school, or on your way home from from wherever, and you see the beautiful sunrise. And you say, you know, sometimes we say, man, that's an awesome, isn't that awesome, the beautiful sunrise? What if, what if instead of saying that, what if you say, wow, guys, look at the beautiful sunrise that God created for us. 
Simple. What, what if uh, you're having a conversation with your spouse? You're trying to make a decision. And oftentimes, what we do, we say, well, let, let's make a, a list. <laughs> a list of pros and, we, and a list of cons. And, and let's kind of weigh the pros versus the cons. I mean, we all, we all kind of do this. But what if, what if we do this? What if we say, you know what? Hunter, as we think about the decision that we need to make, let's pray. Let us God to help us. Let, let the Spirit of God lead us in a decision. What if, what if we involve God in our daily conversations? What if we do that? Simple. You're involving God in your daily conversation. Number two, you make church non-negotiable. Making church non-negotiable. If you're a Christ-centered home, guess what you do? You make the priority of the worship of your God something that is non-negotiable. You take one hour a week, right? You take one hour a week to honor the, the creator and sustainer of the universe who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you who was buried and was rose again on the third day. We hear the proclamation of the word of God because faith, it comes from hearing and hearing from the word. So you say to your family, listen, we're going to church, period. Moms and dads, you make the decision in your home. Don't let little John and little Becky tell you what you want to do. You make the decision, listen, we're doing this. We're making a decision. We're going. I don't want to go. You're going. No if, and, or but. We're going. We're going to church. Make it a part of your family culture that your children don't want to miss. They don't want to miss. Listen, you know, if they can't come to church, you know, maybe you're out of town, man, make it a priority, even out of town. You know what? We're going to watch it. We're going to watch it online. It's awesome that we can create it online. We've got people watching it online right now. They're on vacation somewhere, or maybe they're sick. They couldn't come today. But they're watching. And I know some of you do do that. You do that. That's awesome. You know, we're going to be going, like I said, we're going to be going Yellowstone. Now, one thing about Yellowstone, the internet service is terrible. So we kind of like, you know, we're probably not going to be able to watch it live, you know, when we go on vacation, late point live. And so we've kind of done some research and we found a cowboy church. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> Sunday morning, we're going to be out there. We're going to meet that one Sunday and, and, uh, and uh, I'm going to be wearing my cowboy hat, my cowboy boots, you know, yeah. <laughs> kind of come walking in. Howdy, partner, you know. And <laughs> instead of saying that amen, I'm going to say yeehaw, you know, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I'm going to embarrass my wife. It's going to be an awesome time. I mean, you walk around like a cowboy, you know? I'll start practicing right now. How about this? All right. I'm getting weird. Make church non-negotiable. Make it a priority. T 
teach your kids that it's important. You know, you're sending a message to your kids even when they're young. If church is important, you'll show that it's always important, that when they grow up, you've taught them that church is important. If you teach them now that church is not important, you're going to reap what you get. You'll reap what you show when they grow up. They may not even go to church. Oh, the church wasn't that, that important when I was a kid. Why would it be important to me now? Right? Church, non-negotiable. Christ-centered home. Number three. Show how seeking and serving God is fun. Show how seeking and serving God I mean, I don't want church to be a drag. I've seen that. Vance Havner, he's a famous preacher. Uh, he said this. He said, so many churches start at 11 o'clock sharp, and they end at 12 o'clock dead. And it turns a little Mark Twain humor in there, but there's a little truth to it. Now, what the kids, we want, we want people to, man, a church alive is worth the drive. I want to come. I want to be a part of something that's happening. I want to be a part of church where I'm learning, where I'm growing. And we want to teach that to our kids, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. We got little kids. Let's be creative parents. By the way, don't just rely on the church for the, for the Bible teaching for your kids. We only get one hour a week. You've got the rest of it, 168 hours a week. That's our challenge, parents. Hey, listen, we've got young ones. Invest in your kids. Be the disciple maker in your family. Teach your kids. And make it fun. Be creative. Got young ones. Make you dress up. Make them dress up. Little Noah, little Moses, I don't know, you know, Mary, you have them, act it out. There's a lot of creative ways to do it. Make puppets, create things together, have fun, be silly. You know, when you're older, you know, do some other stuff. You know, when Nathan was 10 years old, I challenged Nathan. I said, Nathan, I want you to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible. Read the whole Bible. If you do it in one year, I'll give you a $100 bill. And, and Nathan, he did it. He read the Bible every day. He read all of it. Read the stuff he didn't understand, but he read it, you know? And that's okay. He just read it through and through. We kind of worked together on that. And finally, on that last day of the year, you know, he said, all right, Dad, I finished reading my Bible. I said, all right, you know, I, I promise you promise, right? So I pulled out my $100 bill. I gave it to him. Good job, Nathan. Good job. And he said, all right, Dad. We do this again next year, right? Can we do <laughs> so, no. Oh, come on, Dad. Let's make it $200. No. <laughs> you know, I want, now, I want you to read your Bible not for something you, gotta, something you get. I want you to do it because you want to. I'm 14 years old. That's what he's doing right now. He's still reading the Bible. Reading God's Word. Challenge your kids. On, on your handout, there's just, you know, there's just some awesome resources here. There's just, just a couple here. I, you know, there's much more. I mean, there's so much resources at the tip of your fingers. 
Here's some of them. Right now, media. It's something that we own here at church. We have, right now, media, like we call it the Netflix of Bible studies. They got stuff for kids, they got broke down topics. It's exhaustive, it's awesome. We pay for it as a church so that you can have it for free. And it got resources for everything, everybody. You know, got kid programming, wonderful stuff. Some of you use it. We use it for our small groups. By the way, to get this, all we need is your email. And so if you like, want that on the back of your connection card, say, hey, right now, media, there's a place to sign me up and make sure in the front of the card we have your email. You can watch it from your smart TV. You can watch it on your tablet, your iPhone. It's, it's a wonderful resource. Got some other stuff here. Uversion Kids, Uversion, um, the regular Uversion Bible app, all kind of great stuff here. But challenge you to make learning about God fun. Teach them it's fun. Serve together. Go on mission together. Fun. Bible says, Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, I love what Joshua said. He said, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And then he said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You hear this? My friend, you choose today. You choose today. It's your choice. I can't make it for you. But you have a choice to make. You have a choice either to be a family, a Christian family in name only, just kind of blending with culture and society. You just, you know, you just show up to church here and there. Christ isn't the centered. You have that choice. Or you could be a Christ-centered home, a God-fearing home a home that desires the blessing of God. Your choice. You have to make it. God has a wonderful, wonderful plan for you. A wonderful, wonderful plan for your family. If you will seek him with all of your heart. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I ask you to help us today the thirst after you as a family, the thirst after you as an individual, to want to draw closer to you, to be Christ-centered in our family. God, I pray that we would help us to, to have, to incorporate you in our conversation every day, to draw close to you, to draw to you for strength that we need. God, I ask you to help us to Make church non-negotiable. God, help us to teach our kids that learning about Jesus is fun. We don't want church. We don't want your name to be a ho-hum way of life. We want our kids to catch the fire of who you are so that they can be on fire for you. So God, in the face of a dry and thirsty land, 
God, help us to model what it means to be centered on you. In Jesus' name, amen.